For those of you who want non-stop crime buster and detective shows, you can now add 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to your podcast library. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Brand new for 2023 and growing fast. Enjoy! Are you willing to undertake a dangerous mission behind the enemy lines, knowing you may never return alive? What you have just heard is the question asked during the war to agents of the OSS, ordinary citizens, who to this question answered, yes. This is Cloak and Dagger. Black Warfare, Espionage, International Intrigue. These are the weapons of the OSS. In today's adventure, The Secret Box, concerning an American agent who was sent into a Japanese-infested jungle to take back a prisoner. The role of John Marco, the OSS agent, is played by comedy star Jerry Lester. The story is suggested by actual incidents recorded in the Washington files of the Office of Strategic Services. A story that can now be told. I always carried this little box around with me. I never knew when it might come in handy. It was about as big as a small lunchbox and... Well, to begin at the beginning... I happened to be in the radio room at OSS headquarters in Bamo that night when the message came through. Have important Japanese... Captive for you. Can you come get him? Come soon. Jump patrol only few miles away. Again, for OSS headquarters in Bamo from Agent Terry. So that's how Harry Stevens and I happened to be in an AT-18 flying over Agent Terry's position about 86 miles behind enemy lines in Burma. And like I say, I had this little box in my knapsack. Oh, oh, in case I forgot to mention it, my name is Johnny Marco. Snappy songs and witty sayings. Just mention my name in Sheboygan. Oh, they loved me in Sheboygan. Yeah, yeah, I know, Marco. Hey, Harry, did I ever tell you about my last date in Frisco before I went overseas? I can hardly wait. Her name was Rose. She had a name like a flower and a face like a weed. <laughs> I called her cream of wheat because she was so mushy. <laughs> Marco, I have but one thing to say to you. Well, talk to me. I hope you live to be as old as your jokes. You know the trouble with you, Harry? Mm. You don't realize you're carting around a million dollars worth of talent. I tell you, they love me. In Sheboygan, I know. the city, yeah. Well, hang on. Gonna take a dive, see if I can find the landing strip. We had figured our checkpoints carefully. But when we reached our rendezvous, all we could see was a rough field with a Buddhist pagoda at the far end. Nothing else. No landing strip, no markers, no one waiting downstairs. Just a rough field covered with brush. We knew something must have gone wrong. I don't get it, Marco. Well, the Japs probably closed in and they're afraid to come out of hiding. Oh, great. Live Jap prisoners aren't dropped in our laps every day. Hey, Harry. Huh? Who is this Agent Terry, anyway? Oh, missionary. He's been working with a tribe of Anglo-Burmese for years. Colonel says he's already radioed back a lot of information on enemy positions. This is the first prisoner he's ever taken. What a rotten break. Well, look, circle around again. Maybe we'll see something. Nope. Better head back before we run into trouble ourselves. Hey, Harry, huh? Harry, look. Look, the brush. It's being yanked away. Yeah, yeah, I see it. Look, those natives. They're putting up the white marker stripes. The safe-to-land panel's out. It, gee, it's like seeing something pop before your eyes. Let's go. landing strip came out of nowhere. Just all of a sudden, there it was. 
The plane bumped the ground and rolled in. But we kept the motor still running in case of a Jap trick. And we sat there and waited for whatever was going to happen next. Harry, Harry, look, look, look. Something or somebody's coming out of that clump of bamboo at the end of the field. Yeah. Keep your hand on your gun. I'll make a quick getaway if I have to. Check, check. Harry! Harry, natives! Yeah, but are they friendly? Spears! Hey, they're armed! Let's get out of here! Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. What's the matter? There's a white woman with them. I am Mrs. Terry, gentlemen. One would never suspect I was an agent who had won. Well, uh, what's the angle? I mean, well, I beg your pardon, Oh, ma'am. it's very simple, really. My husband, the late Reverend Oscar Terry, a God-fearing man, went to his rest a few months ago. Well, you mean, ma'am, that, that you're the agent who's been sending all that information to OSS headquarters in Bamo? Naturally. Hmm. Uh, this is Lin Tao. I suppose you'd call him the right-hand man. Say, how'd you do, Lin? How you do? Hi. Lynn, incidentally, sent the radio message. He does so enjoy tinkering with mechanical devices. I showed him how to use it. Unfortunately, however, my husband, the late Reverend Oscar Terry, a God-fearing man, was the only one of us who knew how to take it apart and put it together again. Uh, Lynn. Yes, Miss Terry? That radio, you have it? I have it here. Excellent. Captain, would you either have this replaced in Bummo with new parts or have a new radio dropped over to us? Why, sure, Mrs. Terry. I'll see what can be done for you. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, fancy. I almost forgot. We have a Japanese prisoner for you. There were about a half a dozen natives a short distance away standing around the cart. In it, they had a Jap officer with his hands and feet tied. They dragged him over. Get down. He was a surly character. (laughs) Maybe I would be under the same circumstances. Anyway, he didn't say a word. Just glared at us from under the bloody bandage around his head. Here is your guest, gentlemen. Colonel Sawaka, the Japanese high command. He uh, resisted arrest rather strenuously, so it was impossible to avoid banging him around a bit. (laughs) Well, goodbye now, and good luck, and do give my regards to your colonel. We loaded Colonel Sawaka into the small plane. And a few seconds later, as we swung over the field, we looked down and saw that all trace of the strip had completely disappeared. The brush was replaced, and there was nothing. Only jungle. How's our friend Colonel Sawaka doing, Marco? Well, he's a little tied up at the moment. Hey, friend, how you doing? (laughs) Friend doesn't want to talk. You know something? That's the best audience you'll ever have, Marco, one who can't understand English. Oh, come on now, will you, Harry? Hey, maybe you got some. Hey, friend, uh, did you know that the former ruler of Russia was called the Tsar? His wife was called the Tsarina? And you know what they called his kids? <laughs> Get a load of this. Zardines. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think you're right, Harry. Friend obviously doesn't understand a word of comedy English. Oh, hey, what's that? Jap act, act. They've spotted us. Can we get away from them? Oh, we can try. That's climbing, Harry. Gee, a thousand feet in about a half a minute. Ah, it's no good. Can't get out of range this way. Well, what do we do? I'll level off and head for home. I can't get away from him. I'm just climbing. You did it. We're out of range now. Uh, I, 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 I think. Oh, you spoke too fast. Trouble? Ah, Black must have hit one of the engines. It's knocked out. Oh, fine. Well, it could have been worse. I can get us back on one. Oh, brother, if you were your sister, I'd marry you. Oh, you're a big-hearted guy. You know that, Marco. Well, I don't go around proposing every day. You better go back and see how friend is doing. Friend, Colonel Sawaka, doing extremely well. Thank you. Keep me your hands on the flying instruments, Captain. Hey! And you, Lieutenant, keep your hands in the air. Way in the air. 
I thank you. Why, you dirty dog face, you spoke English all the time. Enough to tell you that if you do not do as you are told, I put the bullet through your head. I thank you, Lieutenant, for leaving gun within easy reach. Can you do anything, Marshal? Quiet. Nothing, he's got us. Quiet, do not talk. Just continue to fly a plane. So Harry kept the plane steady. His back to our friend. And I just stood there and watched Colonel Sawaka as he manipulated the parachute and buckled it on. Changing the gun from one hand to the other as he put his arms through the straps of the chute. Then, he opened the handle of the waist door. I will say goodbye now. It was unpleasant ride. Why, you Hands dirt. in the air. Keep the hands in the air. Much better. <laughs> now I shoot you both. Then I jump. Yeah! Goodbye, friend. Don't forget to write. The jerk shouldn't have opened a waist door first. All I had to do was bank the plane over on its side, and we lost him. <laughs> yeah, we lost him, all right. Uh-oh. His chute open. Oh, fine. Uh, mission unaccomplished. Well, anyway, it was a nice ride. I'm glad you thought so. Uh-oh. The second engine couldn't take the strain of that flip-flop. Is it conking out? Yeah. It cocked. All right, hit the silk, Marco. We better bail out. I made it okay. Rolled over a couple of times when I landed and pulled the chute down. But it was another story with Harry. As he bailed out, his, his, his slipstream caught him, flung him back against the horizontal stabilizer and cut a gash in his head. Miraculously, his chute opened, and he drifted into the green jungle and landed upside down in the top of a tall mahogany tree. Harry! Harry, are you all right? Can you talk? Marco, shroud line of the chute, it tangled. Can't get out. My head, I cut it. Yeah, I see. Marco, get me down. Yeah, yeah, easy boy now. I'll do something. Something? But what? I tried to climb the tree to reach him. But it was no use. The trunk was bare and smooth. And I kept slipping back. It was as if the two of us were in the middle of a nightmare. Harry! Harry, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. I can't climb that lousy tree. It's too slippery. There's nothing for me to hold on. Marco, it's no use. Well, what do you mean it's no if use? If you waste time standing there, you'll be caught. There japs all around. You know that as well as I do. Harry, will you listen to now me? Now you listen to me. Get away now, will you? You may have seen the plane. Oh, shut up. Now, will you shut up? Get out of with both dead ducks. I know I am anyway. Just do one thing. Marco? Yeah? Don't leave me here to starve or fall into Jap hands. Maybe you can make it back alone. You're nuts. Now, I, I couldn't do that. Just don't leave me to starve, Marco. Please. Please, huh? Shoot me first. Through the head, Marco. Please. I knew he was right. I couldn't leave him. Please, Marco. Not that way. And I couldn't stay. Marco! Well, I took the 45 from the holster at my belt. When I heard the dry click of the hammer being drawn back, I, I broke out in a sweat. My hands started to get wet, too. Marco. I counted one, two. Well, listen. What? From the looks of it, we are right in time. Lin Tao and the natives went to work swiftly knocking down a second smaller tree against the mahogany. They scaled it like cats to the base of the branch where Harry was hanging, tossed a loop of rattan across the branch and pulled it toward him. Then they lifted Harry and passed him from hand to hand and lowered him gently to the ground. And all the time I just stood there next to Mrs. Terry, feeling the blood pounding in my head. And I put the pistol back into my holster. Lynn, that other bandage, please. Here. Here you are, Miss Terry. That's a good fellow. Thank you so much. Uh, how's your head now, Captain Stevens? Oh, much better, thanks. I still don't understand. How did oh, you happen... we saw the Japanese Akak hit your plane almost immediately after you left us. And we came along to the jungle in case there should be need of us. Lady. 
No one ever needed you more. You say Colonel Sawaka escaped? Dear, dear, what a pity. Now, now, I think that bandage will do till you get back. Miss Terry. Yes, Lynn? Uh, Lynn ta- say, leave now. Do not stay. Back to village. Oh, yes, great. But that poses a problem. As I told you earlier, our radio is out of use. So, so there's no way of contacting headquarters and telling them to send a plane for us? Exactly, Lieutenant Marco. Well, uh, d- do you think we can make it back through enemy lines on foot? Mm, possibly. Take five or six days, anyway. Yeah, but it could be done, couldn't it? I, I, I mean, we could sneak through, couldn't we? Bypass the Japs, so I don't care. Can do. Yeah. Lintau help. Take you. Capital idea, Lintau. May husband, the late Reverend Oscar Terry. A God-fearing man. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. He would approve heartily. <laughs> Tao knew plenty of shortcuts, and we followed him, skirting Jap patrols all the way. There was something uncanny about the way he led us over miles of jungles. We kept our packs light because we had a pretty long hike ahead. But just the same, I kept that little box with me. I never knew when it might come in handy. Then we came to a small stream. Ah, uh, must go to stream here. Take off shore. Well, wait a minute, Lynn. Why bother? We'll be wading through a lot of water, and, and why take our shoes off and on? Oh, what do Ashlyn say? If shoe get wet, feet wet all time. Many saw come on feet. Will not be easy for you to walk much distance to Bamo. We crossed several more brooks, and we kept taking our shoes off and on. On and off. The jungle along the banks grew thinner. And so did we. The sun beat down harder. The water washed sand up around our knees. The shoes off and on. On and off. We'd splash it and then stumble. And then start walking again. A couple of days of this, we were pretty beat. Except for Iron Man Lynn. Ah, oh, feel good. Lynn, Lynn, the sun, I'll have to hold up a while. Uh, we'll rest here. Near stream. Hey, this is an ideal spot for a picnic. <laughs> Fifty million insects can't be wrong. Ah, got you first, you little foreigner. Hey, Marco, got any water left? My canteen's dry. Yeah, sure, here. That's all you got? It's okay, go ahead, drink it. Lynn, this is all the water we got? When Tar say, do not worry. Watch, I will show what to do so you know. Hey, wait a minute, what are you digging a hole in the sand? Watch, first, dig... Small hole in sand near stream. Place leave in bottom, like this. Now when water come through, sand and leave, it not be muddy. Can drink. Hey, that's the greatest. The leaves act like a filter, you mean. Uh, water is clear. Uh, drink it with your hand. It will not hurt you now. This Lin Tao had a dozen cute little tricks like that. <laughs> He'd have been a riot in vaudeville. Well, the next morning, we were back on the trail, pushing our way through sharp blades of grass. And all of a sudden, we heard the tinkle of an iron bell. Hey, Lynn, what's that? Escape broke elephant coming. Dangerous. Villager in jungle put iron bell around neck to warn. Dangerous. Oh, guns. We've got guns. Let's shoot at them from no, the side. No, 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 no. Do not shoot. If yeah, but... not go too high, only make elephant much angry. Do not shoot. Still. The size of them. Look at the size of them. It's like being charged at by a six-story Still, building. still. Do not shoot yet. O- only if we must. Whew. Passed right by us. Yeah. Maybe he didn't think we were worth noticing. You know something, Harry? Huh? One thing I can't figure out about an elephant. With a tail at both ends, how does he know which end to sit on? <laughs> oh, funny man. Come on, let's make time. Lin Tao did our seeing and our thinking for us. He did everything but walk for us, and we got sort of used to leaning on him. Nothing could happen to Iron Man Lin. Only it did. Oh! Lin! Lin! Harry! Harry, he's dead! That knife went right in his back! Where'd it come from? They came out of the jungle. 
At least 50 of them, half-naked savages carrying long stalks of bamboo that had been sharpened to deadly points. Their leader was a giant. Must have been about six foot seven. He held up his hand, and the sudden silence scared us more than the noise. Quam, Danley. What did he say? Did you understand him, Harry? Uh, look, friends. Friends, savvy friends. No, no friend. Quam, Danley. White devils. White devils. That was us. They slashed off pieces of the vine ropes around the tree and twisted them about us so we could just move our legs. Then they pushed us ahead of them, through the gray daylight of the jungle, through the dim passages of winding lianas, the climbing tropical plants. And above us, stray birds shot color through the overhanging trees. After about a mile, the path became a trail. The lianas were cut away. We tripped over some coconut husks by the side of a charred fire. We were coming into the village. Then Harry saw them first. Marco, look. Up there on the poles. Human heads. A row of skulls. Headhunters. Marco, these are headhunters. Move. Quan Dunley, move. Hey, look, Chief. Chief, you got it all wrong. Now, now, now we're not devils. We're friends. Friends. No. No. It's no use, Marco. American, you are right. It's no use. Colonel Sawaka. I am a great friend of these headhunters. For I warned them of your coming. Told them you are Quan Dan Lee. White devils who come to bring a plague and a pestilence to them. Uh, you it's no right. use. Chief, put the devils away. Deng. Quan Dan Lee. Basha! They untied us and threw us in a straw thatched hut they called a basha. Through the makeshift door, we could see the skulls on the poles. An endless row of them under the hot sun. And up the poles streamed columns of jungle ants, giving them an ancient burial. Uh, looks like the end of the line, Marco. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute, Harry. That chief speaks a little pidgin English. He understands a little. Do you think we could reason with him? Uh, he doesn't look like the reasonable type. Besides, our friend, Colonel Sawaka, got to him first. The tribe's convinced we're dangerous. Yeah. About as dangerous as a glass of buttermilk. A funny bucket. Yeah, that's Sawaka outside talking to the guard. Oh, no. We got company. I trust you are comfortable, Captain, Lieutenant. Why don't you climb a tree, you little monkey? Ow! Watch your tongue. <laughs> Was the most fortunate for me. I found a way here to a friendly camp. Sorry, I don't like your friends. <laughs> My friends do not like you either. Think you are devil Americans who bring evil to their people. Sleep well. Tomorrow you will join heads and poles. <laughs> morning they brought us out. I guess we were pretty important because the big chief himself came over to tie us to the poles. Then I got an idea. I sneaked my hand in my pocket and grabbed a coin, just held it tight. Guantanli, tie you now. Hey chief, look at this. What are you doing carrying dimes around in your ear? Uh. Well, what do you know? Another in your other ear. Uh, uh. And here's one in your nose. Toba. Say, you're a pretty sly character, aren't you? Regular walking bank of England. Hey, Marco, what are you up to? Just a couple of magic tricks if I can get away with them. I tell you, they love me in Sheboygan. Toba. Magic. That's right. Toba magic. Toba. Now, if you get me that knapsack you grabbed for me, I'll do more. See? Toba. Knapsack. Bag from back. Savvy? Remember. We'll do Toba. Do not listen to Guandali, but off ahead. Now, Hey, Chief, now. look at this. Look at this. Now you see it, now you don't. Abado. Presto, coins disappear. Abado. Get knapsack or you'll disappear. Savvy? Guncha plume by Kuna.
Boy, that coin trick got him, and the chief pushed Sawaka aside and sent one of his rover boys to get my knapsack. They brought it to me, and I took out the little box. I always knew it would come in handy sometime. Then the chief held up his hand again. And I went into my act. Brother, what an audience. And what a performance. Now watch closely, ladies and gentlemen. The hand is quicker than the eye. Resto changeo. I take this little glass of water, just an ordinary glass of water, if you will observe closely, and presto, it turns color. <laughs> You're doing great, Devils. kid. I tell you, cut off of the hats. Still. Be still. You tell him, chief. Devils are devils. Go away, little man. You bother me. Now for the next bit of magic, ladies and gentlemen. I pulled every trick in the book out of that little box. Drew cigarettes from the chief's ear. Pulled flowers out of empty pots. Yanked a dozen colored scarves out of a single white handkerchief. And then I broke a stick in half and put it together again. Boy, did they love it. And now, for my final bit of hocus-pocus, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, Marco, why don't you try Sar Sawaka in half and forget to put them together again? I got something better. As I was saying... Devils! These American devils! Hey, Marco, he's getting them over on his side. They're coming after us. Maybe this will stop them. Look! Look, watch! Sign! Sign from gods! Okay! Look! stopped him all right. I pulled a bean blower out of the box, blew hard, and out came a tiny doll dressed in a Jap uniform. Without his head. And he floated to earth. The superstitious native stepped back, afraid to come any closer. See? See, sign! Japanese is Kwandang Lee. God say so! Americans, friends, friends! Doll there on the ground. Japanese doll. Sign from gods. Follow great white father and fight Japanese. Chief, you tell him. He told him, all right. The big trouble we had afterwards was keeping them from tearing Sawaka apart. We wanted him alive to take back to OSS headquarters in Bamo. Well... That's the story. The next day, the headhunters led us back through the jungle with our prisoner. There's only one thing I'm sorry about. Too bad Variety couldn't have caught my act. I tell you, they loved me in Burma. Captain Harry Stevens and Lieutenant John Marco safely delivered Colonel Sawaka to OSS headquarters in Bamo, where he gave valuable information on Japanese war industry and finance. And so, once again, the report of another OSS agent closes with the words... Mission accomplished. Listen again next week for another true adventure from the files of the OSS on... Cloak and Dagger. Starred in today's Cloak and Dagger adventure as Marco was Jerry Lester, with Larry Haynes as Harry, Colonel Suwaka, Daniel Ocko, Mrs. Terry, Irene Hubbard, the Colonel Raymond Edward Johnson. Others were Carl Weber, Arnold Robertson, and Jerry Jarrett. The script was written by Winifred Wolfe and Jack Gordon. The music was under the direction of Murray Ross. Today's true OSS adventure was based on the book Cloak and Dagger by Corey Ford and Alistair McBain. This has been a Louis G. Kahn production in association with Alfred Hollander as it was under the direction and supervision of Sherman Marks. Programs. Get your programs here. Mystery fans, there's an exciting evening waiting for you tonight on NBC. First, some listener will have a chance to win $1,000 for solving the case on $1,000 reward. Are you willing to undertake a dangerous mission behind the enemy lines? knowing you may never return alive?
What you have just heard is the question asked during the war to agents of the OSS, ordinary citizens who to this question answered, yes. This is Cloak and Dagger. Warfare, espionage, international intrigue. These are the weapons of the OSS. In today's adventure, the swastika on the windmill, the role of Paul Halfand, an OSS agent in Holland, is played by Les Tremaine. The story is suggested by actual incidents recorded in the Washington files of the Office of Strategic Services. A story that can now be told. My mouth was as dry as ashes. The palms of my hands were wringing wet. My revolver was drawn, and I moved slowly, slowly along the dark hall. Everything I had been taught led up to this, this moment. Boards under my feet teetered, and for a terrifying moment I almost lost my balance and fell backwards. Something was ahead of me, in a room along that dark passage. I sensed it more than anything else. And then I heard it. I stopped breathing until I passed that room and the voices of the hidden Germans almost slid past them to the end of the corridor. There was a Nazi stormtrooper in uniform right in front of me, blocking the exit. Will, fire! Fire! Fire again! Good work, Paul. Well, that's it. You passed the test. Now the colonel wants to see you. What I had just come through was a cleverly designed scare house that rivaled any Coney Island chamber of horrors for one-a-minute thrills. This was part of the training of an OSS agent, and it took place less than an hour's ride from Washington, D.C. Lieutenant Halfond, at the present time, we have no information, and no way of getting information, on the disposition and plans of German troops in the Netherlands. We think they're up to something. We want to know what. Now, you'll be flown to England... And from there, a submarine will take you to the coast of Holland. The coast of Holland? To me, Holland was that little country where my Uncle Brom lived, where I visited when I was 12, where the windmills were now under the shadow of the swastika. I guess we can surface about here. There's Mac on Holland. I want to take a look, Lieutenant Helfen. Oh, thanks, Commander Sperling. Through the periscope of the submarine tuna, I could see a windmill in the flat lowland of the Netherlands. I couldn't see the swastika, but I knew it was there. The pressure gauge showed 20 feet of salt water above us. Take her up. Take her up. Surface. Open the hatch. We climbed the ladder through the hatch where an inflated rubber boat was waiting to take me to shore. I'm only a couple of yards from shore. I can get out here. <clears throat> Hand me that rucksack, please. Here you are, sir. Have you far to go from here? It's only about five miles from Makum to Bolsward, where my uncle lives. I can make it before the sun comes up. Goodbye. And thanks. Good luck. Good luck, sir. So when you rang the bell at Santa Paul, I jumped from my bed. The devil, I said. It's the Gestapo. <laughs> they finally put two and two together and connected me with the underground. Hush, Bram, hush. God gave you a tongue. Must you use it so loosely? I'm afraid my new Aunt Hilda doesn't trust me completely. I trust no one these days. Oh, Hilda, Hilda, this is Paul. How often have I spoken to you of the times he came here when he was... How old, Paul? Twelve, Uncle Brown. Ah, yes, twelve. And so proper, so correct. A miniature model of propriety. Well, from the looks of it, you've grown, but you haven't changed much. Still proper as the devil. <laughs> the result of my strict Quaker upbringing, Uncle Brown, remember? Uh, we were both taught never to drink or smoke or lie or... or swear, Uncle Brom. Uh, yes. Uh, <clears throat> How long will you stay in Holland? 
Only long enough to contact the leader of the underground and get the information I'm after. I see. Tell me, why should we believe that you are an allied spy? Hilda! Answer me. Surely you don't expect me to carry proof about me that I'm a spy in case the Germans find me? Then how do we know? That's enough, Hilda. The devil, I say. I'll hear no more of this talk. All right, Brown. It will be as you say. And on your conscience. Your, your wife doesn't trust me. You were surprised, no doubt, to find your Aunt Katrina dead and I remarried. Yes, yes, I was, Uncle Brom. I was lonesome. It's not good for a man to live by himself. And she is a good woman. But she doesn't trust me. She has her reasons. There was a man in these parts not long ago. He passed himself off as a British agent, gained the confidence of some of the underground. Then he turned them over to the Gestapo. Oh, I see. Hilda's family was among those executed. You understand now? Uncle Brom, you haven't seen me nor heard from me since I was a boy. You don't know where I've been during those years in between. You don't know what my loyalties are. Do you trust me? Tomorrow I will take steps to put you in contact with Hans Bock in Luaden, the leader of the Dutch underground. When I awoke a few hours later, it was about 10 o'clock. Through the window of the spare room that Aunt Hilda had made up for me, I could see the neat little milk carts jolting over the Keistin and the cobblestones and I could see the endless stream of bicycles. And here and there, a German soldier in uniform, like a blot on the landscape. I'm afraid the breakfast is not as sumptuous as it was in the old days, Paul. Do not apologize for what we cannot change. Um, Aunt Hilda is right. It was very good. The Rogerbrood was just as I remembered it. And these current buns, these Krentenbruges, they're wonderful. Hmm. I will leave you. I have a house to clean. You're still suspicious of me? Have I any reason not to be? Hilda, enough! Paul is my sister's son. I will stake my own life's blood that he is to be trusted. Let us hope you do not have to. Hilda! Aunt Hilda. Look. This pistol. I'm giving it to you. It's the only one I have. The only one you have, and you give it to me? Yeah. I put myself at your mercy. If at any time you have proof, even the slightest, that I'm not what I claim to be, take my own gun and turn it on me. I will take your gun and take you at your word. That should convince her, Paul, you are what you say. Hmm. I hope so. Now, what about this Hans Buck? How can I get in touch with him? I will arrange for a meeting between you halfway at the Harlingen, uh, five days from now, to give him time to collect the information you are after. The days until Thursday, when I was supposed to meet Hans Buck, passed slowly, but they weren't wasted. I set up the shortwave radio on the wine cellarette in the living room. I had long talks with Uncle Brum. And I went out of my way to win over Aunt Hilda. Are you sure there's nothing I can do to help you with dinner, Aunt Hilda? Nothing. Thank you. Hmm. Oh, it's... Uh, uh, it's still raining. One need not be too clever to see that. Eh... Uh. In Holland, it seems always to be raining now. Rain, mud, and despair. I remember when I came here years ago. It was winter. I was in time for the skaters' races. Yeah. Skaters' races. And the booths. Remember the little booths that sold chocolate and milk cooked with aniseed? And the little cakes, all the varieties of gingerbread. Oh, how I love them. Hand me the spoon. Uh, here. Here you are. Thank you. 
Tell me about America. What is it like? Well, <laughs> it's too large to describe in a sentence or two, Aunt Hilda. When the war is over, you must come visit us. Hmm. When the war is over. <sighs> well, it, it can't last forever. And America is helping. And remember, our leader, President Roosevelt, is himself of Dutch ancestry. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, perhaps, I will make you a gingerbread cake. Yes, I won her over slowly. And on Thursday, when I left for Harlingen, she said goodbye to me at the door with Uncle Brom. You know where to meet him, Paul. You have everything clear? Yeah. Everything, Uncle Brom. I'm to meet him beside the monument of the stone man on the North Sea dikes. I'll be knotting and unknotting a piece of string so he'll know me. Good, good. We will uh, see you later tonight, then? Yeah. Paul? <coughs> Here. This is for you. In case you should have need of it. My pistol. Take it back. Thank you. Thank you, Aunt Hilda. Good morning. Good morning. This habit you have of knotting and unknotting string, is it not a waste of time? Nothing is a waste if it serves a purpose. Herr Buck? Yeah, Lieutenant Alfond. We meet this friend. The information. Do you have it? Yeah. Where? Where? In my head. You will have to memorize it as I give it to you. I could not take a chance of writing anything down. I'll remember then. Remember it and use it well. There are 40,000 Nazi troops in Holland and Belgium. But these troops will be on the move within two weeks. Where are they going? Northern Italy. They will be used to cut off the American advance there. The colonel did suspect the worst. Thank you. Thank you. I'll radio this out tonight. It is appropriate, is it not, for us to meet under the statue of this stone man? Hmm. See the inscription? Uh, terminus. Yeah. It means thus far and no farther. A threat to the sea that is held back by the dikes. Thus far and no farther. A threat also to the Nazis? Yeah. You understand me well. Remember me to your uncle, and goodbye for now. Herr Bock is in constant danger of discovery by the Gestapo, Paul. That's why he could not take a chance and write that information down for you. It wasn't necessary, Uncle Brom. He passed it from his head to mine. When will you radio it to London? It's after midnight. I think I can start now. What's that? The car stopping in front of the house. There are two men getting out. So late? Who are they, Brown? Do you know them? No, I don't. I'm afraid. I'm afraid it was like this once before when they came to get my family. Uh, Paul? We were turned in then by someone who pretended to be a friend. Hilda. Aunt Hilda, do you believe I don't that? know. I don't know what to believe. I'll answer it. Mr. Gelderman. Yeah? We have business with you. Come in. This is my wife and my nephew, Paul Halfond. Your nephew? <laughs> Max, take a good look at him. Huh? Would you say he looks as if he's to be trusted? I never trust the man who looks so innocent. What are you talking about? Who are you? Do not be so suspicious. We are from Hans Bock. We're members of the underground. Underground? I was not conscious there was an underground in the Netherlands. What do you want with us? Ah, you're being very careful. I can see that, Herr Kelderman, and that's good. And perhaps this will prove who we are. Would you not say that is Herr Bock's own signature? Yeah, that is his all right. Mm -hmm. 
I knew it well. You're convinced now. Read it aloud. Uncle Brown. Let me read it, Paul. Have reason to distrust man you sent me today. Show proof who he is or turn him over to these men for underground execution. This is ridiculous. I do not understand. Nor I. Herr Bock seemed to trust me well enough this afternoon. You never a German spy, a traitor in our midst. The devil he is. I do not believe that. Not Paul. He's not a spy. Not for the Germans. You want proof? I will give you proof. Uh, see here, in the wine cellar. Uh, this is his shortwave radio. He was going to send a message tonight. He is a friend. He is an ally. He's a member of the American OSS. Uh, don't you believe me? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> what is the matter? We believe you well enough. Thank you for giving us proof of what we suspected. What's this? Shall I show them my badge, Herr Commander? Do that, Sergeant. Do that. Take a good look. The skull and crossbones. The Gestapo. We've been trailing Herr Bock, but we had no definite proof that he was connected with the underground. We only suspected. And today we saw him meet your... Nephew here on the North Sea dikes. Why did you wait until we now? We figured that if we arrested them then and there, we might get nothing from them. So we waited. We arrested Herr Bock, and we found a paper with his signature on it. That note you showed us was forged. Quite right, Frau Kelterman. The note was forged. Herr little Bock by little. Tell us anything. Inch by now inch. Can no longer I had made my way to the kitchen door. You have killed him. Right again. And, and then around the corner. To your husband for supplying us and up the, the back stairs. Yes, After him! Halt! Run, Paul! The attic! Halt! I will go worse with you! In a flood of memory, it came back. Chamber of horrors, an hour's drive from Washington. My mouth was dry as ashes, but the palms of my hands were wringing wet. Along the dark hall, my revolver drawn. Everything I had been taught led up to this. This moment. We have you covered from both sides. Drop your gun! Well, fire! Fire! Fire again! Into the darkness! But this time there was no instructor to say, Good work, Paul. There was just a gun in my back and a leader of the Gestapo to say, You are under arrest, Lieutenant Harlfond. <laughs> mm-hmm. How long do you think you can hold out? We have ways of making you talk. Oh, no, no. But must we convince you more? Sergeant. Yeah, Herr Commander. Yeah. Well, eh, perhaps we'll have better luck if we question your aunt. Sergeant, get Frau Kelderman. Bring her here. No, no, no. Don't do that. Let her alone. Simply because you request it. Sergeant, do as I say. We'll see how long she holds out. If she is obstinate, we'll have a shot, and you will be a witness, Lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> You find this amusing, Lieutenant Halfon? <laughs> well, I know when I'm beaten. Don't bother the old lady or the old man either. What are you saying? Well, I, I thought I could hold out. I can see now there's no point in holding out. You've won. What more is there to say? If you're just stalling for time... I'm not stalling, Herr Commander. I'll prove it. I'll confess everything. Tell you everything you want to know. Now you're becoming smart. And so I told them. Everything they wanted to know. General Donovan heads the OSS in Washington. The OSS is part of the American State Department. The Minister of Finance in Britain is also head of the British Secret Intelligence. Go ahead, Lieutenant Halfond. We're listening. Corporal, take this down. I gave them a mixture of fact and fantasy that would have done the German propaganda ministry proud. The true facts I told them I knew they already knew. The rest they seemed to accept at face value. So I kept my story with a real whopper. You taking all this down, Corporal? We'll take this down with a red pencil. An invasion of North Holland is part of the Allied plan. What? The invasion will be made in the eastern area of Friesland on the Dutch North Sea coast. You are lying to us! We'll see if you know you are beaten. (laughs) Perhaps you've been on the wrong side, Lieutenant Hartford. You've uh, set up a radio? I think you ought to use it tonight. Time is now 2300. 2300. 
Paul Halfond, calling headquarters. Can you hear me? Over. OSS headquarters to Paul Halfond. You're coming in clear. Been waiting for your message, Paul. Good to hear your voice. What did you say? There's a gun in your back. <laughs> I could see it's going to take a lot to convince you. Paul Hall found the headquarters. Listen. Listen carefully. It's stinking weather for a drop, but I've got to have supplies. It's darned important. Over. Headquarters to Hall Fund. Would you mind repeating that so we're sure? Repeat, please. Over. What the devil's the matter? You said you were getting darn good reception. I said the weather's lousy, but it's darned important that I get a supply drop at designated point tomorrow night. Can't make it any darn clearer than that. Over. Okay. Okay, Paul. We get it. It's darn clear now. You'll get your supply drop. Good night. Over and out. Huh? You heard it yourself. The drop will be made. Are you beginning to be convinced of my sincerity? Were you nervous, Lieutenant? What? Why do you say that? I never heard you use such language before. Oh, I... Uh, I expect to get over my nervousness after I've broadcast many of these radio messages for you, Commander Brandt. After that, they drove me back to the jail. Commander Brandt of the Gestapo had never heard me use such language before. And neither had OSS headquarters. <laughs> In the army, they used to make fun of me because of my proper speech. I gambled on the chance that the radio operator who knew me would detect something odd about my speech. When he answered back the same way, I knew he understood I was a prisoner of the Germans and that the supply drop would probably save my neck. I didn't sleep that night, and I didn't really take a deep breath until 11 o'clock the next morning. Good morning, Lieutenant. Would you care, perhaps, for a piece of chocolate or an American cigarette? I knew the drop had been successful. They sent us home. Uncle Brom, Aunt Hilda, and me. But we brought a boarder with us in the person of Commander Brandt. House was different now. Aunt Hilda prepared meals silently. Uncle Brom smoked his pipe and looked at me, wondering. And twice a week, they sat in the living room and watched and listened as Commander Brandt and I contacted OSS headquarters. OSS headquarters to Paul Halvin. This is important. Four and twenty blackbirds are coming through the rye. Storm clouds overhead. Take in your washing. Good night. Over and out. Hmm. What did that mean? 15,000 more Allied troops are added to preparations for the invasion of Holland. <laughs> well, maybe we will rush 20,000 more German troops to the Dutch North Sea coast. Already we have 40,000 troops waiting there. We were going to send them to... Uh, elsewhere. But they would undoubtedly be of more use here. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Uh, I'm going up to bed now. Don't shit. The dinner was very good, Frau Kelderman. I cannot help being a good cook. <laughs> yes, well. Good night. It's thoughtful of him to leave us alone so much. Is it? I do not care much for your company. Hilda, maybe he's got his reasons. I wanted to tell them my reasons, but I didn't dare... Instead, I stood at the piano and played the scale with one finger. Even Uncle Brom was getting to the point where he couldn't look me straight in the eye. But as Uncle Brom became more suspicious, Commander Brandt became less suspicious. I think I will go up to bed, too. Something was wrong with the piano. The sea was sharp, as if something were pressing on it, making it sharp. I walked around to the back of the baby grand... And I saw it. It was a small round disc the size of an overcoat button. I knew it was attached to a dictaphone in Brandt's room. That was why he left us alone so much. I'd give him something to listen to. Paul, I know there must be some explanations for these things you are doing. Now look, you haven't had it so good for years. 
Eggs on the table. When did you have eggs on the table last? Privileges nobody else has. Extra ration books. You might as well face it. This is a new order, Germany's order. And if you're smart like I am, you'll fall in with them. Paul, Paul, is this you? I told you he was a traitor, a spy. I warned you. You wanted to see me, Herr Commander? Yeah. Or uh, thank you for coming to my office so promptly at my call. I follow orders. So I'm beginning to see. Uh, sit down, sit down. I want you to hear something. I think I'll go up to bed, well, too. I don't understand. Super. A dictaphone. I still don't... Oh, I know there must be some what? explanation... That's Uncle Brom. Yeah. Now, look. You haven't had it so good for years. That's me. Eggs on yeah. the table. Well, what's the <laughs> idea of doing it on the table last? Privileges nobody else has. Extra ration books. You might as well face it. This is a new uh, order. German You have order. convinced me completely. If you're smart like I am, you'll fall in with them. I have a proposition for you. Yes? I want you to go to England for us. Act as a double agent. You can be more valuable to us there. Leave Holland? Yeah. But aren't I a great help to you here? I know the risk it involves. But Germany will pay you well after the war. Think it over. I thought it over and let him convince me. And a few days later, a German stormtrooper gave me a personal escort to the border. And I made my way back from the enemy lines. After I left, my aunt and uncle escaped and were hidden by the underground. And it wasn't until the war was over that I was able to see them and explain. Lieutenant Paul Halfen returned to OSS headquarters and thousands of Nazi troops waited on the shore of the North Sea for an invasion that never came. Thus, once again, the report of another OSS agent closed with the words, Mission accomplished. Listen again next week for another true adventure from the files of the OSS on... Cloak and Dagger. Heard in today's Cloak and Dagger adventure as Paul Halfond was Les Tremaine. Brahm was played by Stefan Schnabel, Hilda by Virginia Payne, Vant by Barry Kroger, the Colonel by Raymond Edward Johnson. Others were Carl Weber, Jerry Jarrett, Arnold Robertson, and Bob Wilde. The script was written by Winifred Wolfe and Jack Gordon. The music was under the direction of Murray Ross. Today's true OSS adventure was based on the book Cloak and Dagger by Corey Ford and Alistair McBain. This program was produced by Louis G. Cowan and Alfred Hollander and was under the direction of Sherman Marks. Programs, get your programs here. Mystery fans, there's an exciting evening waiting for you tonight on NBC. First, some listener will have a chance to win a double reward for solving the case on $1,000 reward. Next, when a woman reads her own obituary in the paper, the saint finds himself involved in a case that leads to murder. Then Sam Spade works his way through the rod and reel caper. Yes, you'll find adventure here tonight. Stay tuned now for High Adventure and the Big Guy on NBC. Thanks for joining us for 1001 Radio Days, your home for Golden Age Radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. 
Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.